it's a new track record. Hey, hey, IndyCar fans. Thanks for tuning in to the IndyCar Fan Podcast. I'm John. I'm here with Michael to wrap up the season. The Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey from WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. That's quite the title. Yeah, this was a repaved Laguna Seca. So coming into the race, we knew it was probably going to look a little bit different than last year. I don't think we expected anything like how it turned out. I mean, kind of turned out to be a clusterfuck. Honestly, we haven't seen a race. <laughs> we haven't seen any car race like this in a little while. I think this was the kind of race that we expected that I don't know about expected, but I think a lot of people expected going into Nashville and Nashville was a very clean green race. This one was one. It seems like we get one of these in IndyCar every, you know, once a year, once every other year, something like that, where the yellow flags just keep piling up and you got cars all over place, you know, fuel tire strategy all over the place. Yeah, it was, uh, they did resurface the track and it had a huge effect, obviously. Cars were over five seconds faster or maybe six seconds faster per lap. And the driver interviews, they were talking about the physical load, you know, just there's so much grip and the wheels heavy enough anyway that they were just, you know, getting tired in practice sessions and just it was going to be ultra physical race. And then the other thing is the season was essentially over. I mean, the championship was decided and a lot of drivers hadn't accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. A lot of guys were looking for wins. I mean, McLaren doesn't have a win yet. I thought Grosjean would get a win this year. Rookie of the year was sort of decided, but not quite. And then the leader's circle money, which you don't hear much about, and I had a tough time finding information on, was pretty huge. And that that money, was, which amounts to about a million bucks, was up for grabs. So there was all kinds of stuff going on. I mean... Just people um, getting restless, I guess. Definitely a lot going on. Five seconds a lap faster is, you know, that's nothing to scoff at. So like you said, we knew it was going to be physical. Tire degradation was going to be completely different. Obviously, last year it was incredibly high. We saw like a four, even five stop race last year. Don't know how it affected fuel consumption. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like I said, we knew it was going to be different didn't necessarily expect it to be different in this way. So I think we got it all pieced together, reviewed it in depth, got the lap charts out like usual, the pit stop summary, all that. So I I will say I did find some very interesting tidbits that I didn't necessarily notice were happening while watching it live. So I'm excited to share all that. You know, we got a lot to talk about, so just stick around because I think it is going to turn into a pretty interesting podcast episode. There were some incidents throughout the weekend little spins off tracks here and there. I watched a little bit of practice missed qualifying, but pulled up the results to see that Rosenquist had snagged the pole, which was really exciting. You know, obviously Arrow McLaren hasn't gotten a win yet. Rosenquist has driven really well this year. So pulling for him to stay up there all race. Lungard qualifies third. You've got Polo who's locked up the championship fifth, VK sixth. And then, you know, some of these other guys, like Award, not necessarily out of reach in ninth. There were some penalties. Award was um, not one of them. Yeah, Award ninth. And then Dixon 11th, who, again, wasn't really on my radar to be a winner at the end of this thing. But that's where Pelot won from last year. So 
this was another race where I was looking over the starting order. I was looking at result practice results. I was looking at odds and couldn't put my finger on who was going to win it at the end of the day. Yeah, it was a tough one to call. And, and the grid was a little bit shuffled. There was some uh, penalties for engine changes. Dixon ended up starting 11th, like you said, but he qualified fifth. Jury Vips was seventh fastest in qualifying, ended up starting 13th. Ferrucci had an engine change. He ended up starting 17th, but had qualified 11th. You know, the strategy is pretty wide open. This is clearly going to be a three-stop race with the fuel and tires kind of maxed out at about 29 to 30 laps. At 30, he was with a lot of fuel save. Last year at the end of the race, Lungard was the first guy to make his last stop, and he did it with 29 to go. And there was just green. Made it no problem. Everybody else came in with 28 to go. So you figure... You know, you can run hard for 28 laps. And if you do the math on that, that leaves a short stint of 11 laps if you need to go for a shorty. So pretty wide pit window. I'd say, you know, the opening window would open on lap 11 and go to about lap 30 if you can really stretch it out. So all kinds of room for overcuts, undercuts. I never really got a clear idea of what the fuel window was actually. Well, I did fuel based on last year, right? Just looking at who stopped to make their final stop, there was no more yellow flag laps. So yeah. I got the read that way. What we didn't know was, was tire wear. Well, and also how the repaved track might affect fuel consumption. I mean, with a five second faster lap, if you've got more grip, theoretically you are back to full power much earlier in the corner. So you're going up through the gears earlier, you're on throttle longer. So I thought that might affect fuel consumption. That's they a very good broadcast. point. Yeah, very good point. I, I think so. I think yeah. So that that's why I was never really sure. And I think they said on the broadcast. I think Kevin Lee said that the to make it on three stops, you could come in on lap as early as lap seventeen. So that would put the window. I think that would put the max distance you can run at twenty six laps. If you work backwards, three stints, stints maxing it out, that leaves seventeen laps remaining to make up on fuel. But obviously, if you want to split it up evenly, you're aiming to get to lap 24. So I will say I was acting under the assumption that with just full green flag conditions, you could go about 26 laps while I was watching this. But I was never really sure. And we never there was so much yellow. It was hard to tell exactly what it was at the end of the day. Anyways, I mean, some guys, there was so much yellow. I think I forget how many I made. I want to say he made six or seven stops here. Let me check. Got I like making six stops, every one of them under yellow. A lot of guys didn't make any stops under green. There was so much yeah. yellow flag running. But yeah, I, I guess I'd forgotten about, you know, the drastic difference in fuel consumption with, with the new pavement. Didn't even really consider it. And like you said, we never really got to find out. There was so much yellow. Yeah, well, we better get into it here because there was a lot to cover. Yeah. So let's go right to the start of the race. It's a sloppy start right off the bat. You've got guys sliding out of the final corner coming to green. I thought maybe there was a stack up, but power just pulled out a line on the inside because he got wheel spin coming out of that last corner. And Bloomquist did the same thing. And then you have Herda in the outside line jump out of line coming to green. So, you know, and that was debatably not penalized as a jump start. We can get into that. But also what happens is we come piling down into turn one there's sort of two separate incidents here that happen simultaneously, but they all sort of pile up in the same place and become one. Yeah. Lungard 
in third, dives to the inside, kind of under McLaughlin, but hits the curb, launches, hits McLaughlin, right, you know, he kind of, it straightens him out right into Newgarden, runs Newgarden off the road. So that's exactly it. And then, so, so you've got those guys kind of piling up towards the outside of the track and then behind them, Armstrong taps Ray Hall, but the way this happens is Armstrong has Vips to his inside already. And so the two come up on Ray Hall in the braking zone to make it three wide. So Armstrong just barely taps Ray Hall, who spins down into his teammate Vips, which hooks Vips right rear. And so the two straighten out to wind up in that same spot outside the track, which collects Newgarden, who's really just an instant bystander. He was trying to avoid Loongard. And they recollect Armstrong and then Erickson and Malukas stack up as well as Kirkwood and Isla. You know, all those guys all stack up and then up the track from that incident number three, also separate. VK had hit Newgarden's left rear trying to avoid Loongard in the stack up. So Dixon, who had avoided everything so far by staying glued to the bottom of the track, comes out of turn one with her to do his outside. And it looked at first like Herta hooks Dixon into VK. I no longer think that's the case. I think the, I think her uh, Dixon just got a little bit of oversteer and then overcorrected and shot out to into VK. So I disagree on th- that th- one. I think what happened there was you know Dixon on the inside sort of straightened out his hand just to maximize his exit because he's eyeing up VK for that would have been I forget what position that was for, but it was way up and sort of straightened his hand and Herta had been slowed through that whole debacle in turn two. He made light contact with a ward that allowed Dixon to shoot up the inside. So he was a little bit slow. He didn't track out all the way. And when Dixon went to track out, he did, I think he did catch Herta. They they had an aerial from the helicopter that showed it fairly clearly. And then an in-car actually from Herta later in the race that showed that Dixon was definitely hit, launched to his right, smacked into VK, knocked him off the track. So the reason I think it's oversteer and not contact is because Hurt is in car was from the nose of the car. So you couldn't actually see if there was direct contact. It wasn't conclusive. And upon further review, that same overhead shot you're talking about, when Dixon comes out of the corner, I think you're right. He is power down, straightening out the wheel, trying to get by VK, trying to beat VK to turn three. But you see his car just catch a little bit of oversteer angle to the left. He's not going totally straight. And I think and I think he just snaps right back. Could be a combination of both, actually. It could be that the over, you know, collecting the oversteer into Herda's wing. I watched it a ton of times. At first, I totally thought he got hooked by Herda. By the end, I was pretty convinced it was just understeer and Herda didn't touch him. But Dixon gets called for avoidable contact and Herta doesn't get called for jumping the start. Yeah. I thought also that the video could be a little misleading because Herta was driving mostly a white car with his retro paint job, but his front nose and wing were black. So from the aerial, when you're looking down from way up there, you can't really, it's really hard to make out his nose and his wing. So yeah, I guess this is debatable, but Dixon was fuming. He did get penalized for avoidable. Herta got away with the jump start. Yeah. So just the final pieces, I was wondering if IndyCar had access to some angles that we didn't have because, you know, here we are. We both have reviewed this incident over and over again and kind of inconclusive as to whether Dixon got hooked or if he just overcorrected into VK. So Dixon was obviously fuming on the radio. So I don't know. I wonder if they saw something we didn't. But 
you know, a sloppy start and controversial start as well. Yeah. Ray Hall also, you know, I kind of felt bad for him. He was on the outside. He was one of the guys who got jumped by Herta. Herta jumped four guys on that start and completely got away with it, filed right back in and sort of jammed everybody up. And Ray Hall on the outside, like you mentioned, three wide. He had his teammate Vips all the way in, Erickson trying to poke his nose up in the middle. And when Ray Hall tightened the wheel, you know, to avoid the guys who were all kind of pushing off the track to the right, he did not see Erickson there. I'm sorry, Armstrong. I'm saying Erickson, I meant Armstrong. And then he looped it right into Vips and knocked Vips off the track. And then when he climbed out of his car, he went up to Vips like to scold him a little bit, you know, like, what are you doing? When really, I think Ray was the guy at fault there. I mean, it was, it was a tough predicament. But yeah, I was a little hot-headed. Yeah, frustration's boiling over. Yeah. The guys who were glued to the bottom of the track through all this generally came out pretty well as long as they, if you know, the guys that started mid to back, like Rossi, 15th to 7th, just like that. Bloomkiss, 21st to 11th. And uh, they were on the inside line, and they just kept the car right down on the white paint and basically drove right underneath all this. So for Rossi, for Bloomquist, you know, doesn't have a lot of IndyCar experience. For Ben Peterson... Peterson went from 23rd to 12th, just like that. So that had to be kind of exciting for those guys. A couple guys come into the pits, you know, some guys who got banged around a little bit, mostly the guys who went off track and had to get jump started. Erickson, McLaughlin, Armstrong, Eilat, Lungard all top up on lap four. And then I have the restart happening on lap seven. Coming to the green, you have Rossi who sort of caught sleeping. I don't know if he expected moves before the final corner, but Grosjean goes all the way around him before they even get on the brakes for the final corner. Just drove right around him. You know, Eilat makes a nice move on Ferrucci. And in general, there's just a big mix up in the back of the pack. And this continues for like the entire first lap of this restart. There's the super dramatic on board of Peterson who gets a bunch of wheel spin off turn five and gets all crossed up. And McLaughlin, who's following super closely, just clobbers his, his left rear. And then at the very end of this lap, you have Pelo making a big dive bomb move for the lead on Rosenquist. Rosenquist kind of gives him the squeeze and Pelo returns with a hip check out of the final corner and takes the lead. It's sort of an indication of how the race is going to go down. What kind yeah. of driving to expect. A lot of it might have to do with the, the grip level. Who knows what. Pelo kind of muscles his way through pushes Rosenquist wide. Power also gets underneath. So you've got Pelot in the lead, Power in second, Rosenquist third. The next lap, Newgarden all by himself loses it, coming out of turn four, sticks it in the tire barrier. We go yellow again. Yeah, totally bizarre incident. That's, um, you know, if you've ever driven this track in real life or, or played it in a video game, you know that turn four is a really tricky corner. It's fast, you know, you got to get the, the angle just right and the exit comes at you really quickly, but it's really weird to see oversteer apex off like that. Totally surprising that new garden would just loop it just on his own, you know, way off the back of the pack, but puts us back under yellow. I wonder if he had a puncture or something, not real I clear. Maybe he turned in a little bit early. It looked like he was coming in a little shallow and then on the apex tried to correct with just a big crank of the wheel and maybe got a bunch of grip in the front which didn't connect to the rear. And that's kind of put him into a little slide, uh, which ultimately end with him ended with him fully looping it, but couldn't really say for sure, honestly. So we're yellow again. Uh, Lungard, Erickson, and Peterson all stop. 
you know, it's just not, not able to get this race going. But finally on lap 11, we do get a restart. Pelot takes off. Rosenquist jumps the curb a little bit, kind of like Lungard, and hits power, allowing a ward through. But everybody holds it tight. Behind them, it's relatively tame. So everybody sorts it out and looks like we're going to finally get a green run going here. We get some green flag stops on this little stint, but to the Rosenquist power move real quick. So this was when Rosenquist just chucked it in way shallow into turn one on the restart underneath power. And like you said, clipped the curb. That could have been a pretty big crash. I think props to both those guys for not making it anything more than it was, you know, just a little bit of contact and maybe a little scoot offline. Yeah, that was looking like it could have been another big one. Luckily, we avoided it, and we are running under green. Yeah, and, we, and fi- it doesn't take long. I mean, right away, second time by, Dixon comes in and Lugar comes in. They're both serving their penalties, which are drive-throughs for avoidable contact. So those guys drop to the back, and we finally settle into some green flag laps. Rossi gets ordered to yield a position to Canapino, who's looking really strong. I mean, that move... Yeah. Um, when Rossi has to yield to Canapino, it puts it puts Canapino up in seventh place. So way further up than he's been all year, really. Just a note that Dixon's running in 16th. He's about 20 seconds back after he serves the penalty. And then he hits the pits right away. I mean, he kind of catches up with the back of the train, which was Peterson. And I think VK being a lap down was back there. VK kind of got out of his way. But, you know, he was about ready to, to get slowed down. So he heads to the pits. It's well within the window. It's at lap 17. So he's in the three-stop window and bails out. I have that being exactly in the window, assuming 26 laps. We don't know for sure, but he's the first to come in. Not a bad call. You catch up to traffic. You stay on the early side of the window to avoid getting caught out by a yellow. A lot of craziness happens, so that point's a little bit of a wash. But Pelot, meanwhile, is just totally checking out with this race at the front. He's got this thing like, I mean, his pace was so fast whenever they put the lap times up on screen. I wasn't watching timing and scoring, but he just looked totally checked out. You know, so we're in the pit window. Uh, there's a few guys opting to come in. I think all those yellow flag laps at the beginning had a lot of people eyeing extending this stint. It also didn't seem like they were getting a lot of tire fall off. So more reason to extend the stint. And then on lap 26, you have uh, Castro Neves who spins off of turn one rolls, you know, a little too hot through the center of the corner and exits wide and kind of drives through all the dust and clag and spins and the TV cameras pick it up. And then it turns into a totally wild sequence, which amazingly does not end in a yellow flag. Like we do get one a lap later, but it's not for this little, you know, sequence of events right here. Yeah. He gathers it back up. No momentum. He's dragging. Peterson gets by him, and he just won't relinquish the position. You know, he goes flying up there, sort of blocking Peterson and spins, trying to fight off Peterson. And then he he goes off to driver's left and re-enters right in front of Poulot, who you mentioned he's streaking away. He's got an eight-second lead. I mean, he's just gone. Fortunately, Poulot's able to miss. But then, um, you know, like you said, all these pit stops are underway now. Everybody's starting to make their first of three stops. By lap 29, I have everybody except Polo, Herta, Power, and Rossi have stopped. You know, you got other guys who had topped up earlier. Eilat had topped up on lap four. Erickson and Lungard topped up lap nine. By lap 29, everybody but Polo, Herta, Power, and Rossi have stopped. 
And then Erickson makes this dive bomb on Rosenquist. Rosenquist stopped and came out ahead of Erickson. Why was Erickson that far back? He had topped up on lap four and lap nine. So I guess Erickson just running at the back of the pack, you know, Rosenquist, when he finally stopped, came out just ahead of Erickson and Erickson made a dive bomb under him. Wasn't close to pulling it off. Erickson's stuck in the water. Rosenquist gets going again, but spins off at the exit of turn three. It was kind of funny when Erickson came to a stop, Rosenquist gathered it back up. They're facing each other. Erickson sitting in the cockpit, looking back up the track, and Rosenquist going real slow right in front of him. And from the end car, you know, they're on the end car. I thought for sure we were going to get the high sign from Rosenquist of some, some Me kind. Me too. I was a little disappointed we didn't, honestly. <laughs> well, Erickson deserved it. He ends up getting the penalty, and the penalty is to restart at the back of the pack. But Rosenquist ends up, you know, he had a cut tire, and he just lost it in turn three. And... The yellow basically came out simultaneously, I guess because Erickson was still stuck. And just sort of by chance, Pelot had just made it to the pits. I mean, I'm sure he was, yeah. you know, running low on fuel, saw there was a mishap in turn two, headed to the pits, had just gotten in when the yellow flag flew. And with that big lead, nobody else behind him, i.e. Herta, Power, or Rossi, had a chance to come into the pits. They were locked out. That's right. Here we are. We're on lap 29 under yellow. Herda, Power, Rossi. These guys haven't made their first stop yet. Everybody else has. Polo miraculously is in the pits, just barely in the pits in time. So we know that Power, Herda, Rossi, these guys are going to have to come in and they're going to go straight to the back. So perfect opportunity to defend my position on that, on not going yellow right away at Portland last week with Canapino and the runoff. It was a little dicey. But what happens to power here is he's running fourth before everything happens, goes all the way back to 16th, just by purely bad luck. Herda fifth to 21st, Rossi 18th and, or sorry, eighth to 19th. In this case, I think they were right to throw the yellow right away because you had a Rosenquist in the runoff, uh, but B Erickson was stalled, like just barely offline where we had seen Castro Neves drive through like, uh, what, like, you know, five laps ago or something. So I think they were right to throw it right away. But I just want to go back to Portland because this is exactly why IndyCar will wait if they can. It's so they don't screw these guys and they can retain their position and stay on strategy. So that's all I'm going to say about it. I just had to revisit it because that was a talking point coming out of Portland. Well, this was a tough one because they wanted to make, you know, they want to wait and see if Erickson is going to fire up. They're at the back of the pack. There's nobody coming. And if they can both roll away, there's no need for a yellow. So they don't actually throw it right away. They wait about five seconds or so, long enough for Rosenquist to go shooting off at the exit of turn three. But the yellow comes out because Erickson stalled. And it took him probably five seconds or so to figure that out. And that five seconds is what allowed Pelot to make this stop. And I, was, I actually happened to be in Herta's in-car at that time. And man, he was just fuming, just F-bombing, talking about what a joke race control is and the rinky-dink series and just going off. But that was a tough one because I don't know what IndyCar could have done. I mean, they want, they want both cars to roll away. And so they waited for Erickson and he couldn't fire. And then right when they threw it, Pelot had already crossed the, the line. So... That your argument from before is actually, it actually covers it because they didn't throw it right away. 
because they were waiting to see, you know, if Erickson could refire. Well, my, my whole point is I'm just countering those who say that, you know, the argument is that a yellow is a yellow. So if there's a car stopped ever, you go yellow right away for safety, no questions asked. And I think they're wrong about that. I think, I think race control is right to assess the situation and decide if they need to go yellow right away. Like, let's say this had been a big pile up and, you know, Rosenquist and Erickson had just went tumbling into the barriers and one of them could be hurt. Absolutely. You go right away. You yellow right away. You got, you got to get the safety trucks out there and check on these guys. But if there's a chance that Erickson's going to refire, you know, if it's like last week where Canapino is not on the racing line, he's in the runoff and everybody's aware of that, then I do think it's right to wait, have a little leniency to, to assess the situation before you just snap to throwing the yellow and screwing these guys like Herta this week, like Power, like Rossi. Yeah, the other side of that argument is, well, if they didn't give up an eight-second lead, they would have been right there able to dive in as well. So, you know, even though there was a, I think Pelot was clearly inside his pit, not in his pit box, but inside, you know, there was time for, you know, if two or three more guys were on his tail, they would have made it in also. Yeah. So anyway, that's, you know, I guess that's the advantage you get when you open up an eight second lead. So, yeah, so we can move on. I mean, there's 27 stories to every race, right? 27 individual cars. Everybody's going to be affected by it differently. So I'm just saying, I think race control did the right thing to wait last week. I think they did the right thing to call the yellow when they did this week. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay. Agree there. Yeah. So we go yellow and people are running on fumes. Obviously Rossi ends up having to come into a closed pit. And the very next time Herta comes into a closed pit. So not only are those guys, you know, going to lose a lot of ground and move to the back, but they're going to move to the very back because they get penalized for entering a closed pit. So anyway, the pits finally open and, seems to take a little while to get them open. When they do open, Power comes in, Eilat comes in, Herta comes back in, Castro Nevis is in, and Rossi comes back in. So we're getting ready to go back to green, and we do restart on lap 37, and it's actually a pretty interesting time to take note of the lineup. And I think everybody needs to make two more stops. As it turns out, Palou only ends up making one more, but he's the only guy. Yeah, I think you were right about that. We go back to green on lap 37. Lungard's in third, and he hasn't stopped since lap nine. So it's going to be tight. But I think that everybody needs to make two more stops at this point. Yeah, so it's looking like Lungard is legit third. Canapino said he was having a good race, legit fifth. Ferrucci up there in seventh anyways. We don't need to go into all of it, but it is a pretty interesting running order. Uh, We get the restart. I mean, big pack piling into the final corner. All I have in my notes is lots of side-by-side and then incident. Obviously, the incident itself is Peterson gets spun by power, hit by Castroneves, Eilat spins trying to go around the outside, but up the track... Ferrucci has this amazing save over the top of the front straight bend where he was following Armstrong and Canapino super closely. And somehow they got checked up coming up the hill and McLaughlin was right on his tail. The checkup just backed up to McLaughlin who hit Ferrucci's rear, sent him out off to the side of the straightaway. And he went flying through the 
the grass and sand or whatever's out there. It's hard to tell on TV and I've never been there in person. Amazingly holds onto the car and brings it back down to the track and makes the corner. That was scary. That was an incredible save. And that could have been big. I mean, they were hauling and there's not a whole lot to slow him down there, you know, and he took a steep angle to the right off the track, somehow managed to gather it up. That was incredible. And it wasn't much of a checkup. I think, you know, there's that little kick, they call it turn one. And these guys are all on cold tires, just nose to tail. So I think it's just a slight breathe of the throttle, you know, before they probably lean back into it to get up to turn two. And McLaughlin just didn't lift at all, hammered the back of Ferrucci and launched him. So that was, that was an amazing save and good fortune for Ferrucci and everybody that it wasn't worse, but we are yellow because of, you know, all the mayhem and turn 11, you know, they end up firing Peterson back up, but they decide to go through the hole. I don't know why, but they always want to go through the hole, closed, open the pits, let people pit all that stuff when they probably could have just gone right to the green. But a lot of people head to the pits, and they all think that, and, and it turns out to be true, they're making their next to the last stop. This is their their second out of three stops. I, I know yep, some of them so, end up making a lot more due to yellows and stuff, but as far as strategy goes, this is, this is the second to the last stop. And yep. those who head in are Lungard, who was a little bit light, Armstrong, Dixon, Rossi, Herda, Power, Eilat, and Castro Nevis. Yeah. So they, again, I'm assuming 26 laps on fuel. You got to get to lap 43. They pit on lap 38, but that's close enough that they probably felt pretty comfortable that they could make it. Maybe if they get one more yellow, then they'd be in good shape. Turns out they get a lot, but assuming, you know, when you're planning for fuel strategy, you can't really assume that you've got to assume it's going to go green. So you don't run out of fuel at the end of the race, but those guys come in, uh, looks like their second of three stops of the day, and we get a restart on lap 41, and it's another wild one. Yeah, it was kind of funny. McLaughlin had been penalized for the contact. Power was also penalized, and they're ordered to restart at the back, but they come in and make a pit stop. They figure we're going to start at the back anyway. Let's go ahead and stop, and then race control is like, no, now we're going to give you another penalty, pitting after a repositioning penalty. So we do go green. It's lap 42. Looks like a bad start for Lungard. Can't really see it. I think he must have gone off at turn 11. By the way, turn 11 was a complete mess on these restarts. And I like that race control doesn't wait until they you know creep up to the start-finish line to throw the green. They let the leader take off at some point. I'm not sure exactly where that is. I'm guessing it was probably around the left-hander, you know, just past the corkscrew, which would be turn nine. But yeah, early on those restarts, the leaders, you know, they didn't really go hard through turns nine and 10. Rosenquist didn't do it. And so there, there's this crazy stack up. Like you already mentioned some of the moves that, you know, Grosjean jumped on the gas and, and snuck in and Ferrucci did because people were sleeping. It's just a, kind of an odd place to throw the green. So what I would prefer is that they let the, the leader take off and turn turn nine, the long, sweeping, kind of banked left-hander. But don't throw the green until, you know, two or three or maybe four or five of them are on the main straight. I don't see the upside of throwing the green right there. So anyway, things get messy again at turn 11. We don't really see it. But Lungard must have gone off because he's shuffled back to 14th. Yeah, he ultimately, Lungard ultimately winds up back in 16th. Yeah. 
Grosjean tries the outside of a ward and sort of cooks the exit at turn two, opens the door for Canapino, who gets through. Malukas also follows him through. And then as they're going around turn five, the left-hander, there's a big stack up. I have um, Lungard drop it back to 18th, ultimately, on this lap, and I couldn't figure out why until they came back with this later replay. There's a big stack up at the left-hander, and Herta just dive bombs under Lungard and then hammers right into the back of Rossi, pushes Lungard wide. And so Lungard's actually back to 18th. He ends up crossing the start-finish line in 16th. But... Once again, Pelot streaks away. Yeah, and a couple corners later, Ferrucci and Grosjean both both make passes coming into the corkscrew. Yeah, crazy restart, but this is actually one where we settle into our next little green flag run of the day, finally. So it's pretty interesting stint. You have the guys up front who need to build the gap over those who, like we said, had come in and topped up. I had them in my notes as the fuel slavers slash one-stop hopefuls, meaning they're hoping they can make it on just one stop from here. So at the time, Pelot's out front. He's still looking good, although there's some guys with more fuel on board behind him. Awards there in second. Canapino has come up to third after a great restart. Grosjean's in fourth. Interesting running order. We get to uh, some green flag stops here too before the next yellow comes out. Grosjean's the first one in on lap 48. And I was a little confused by it. He was he had last stopped on lap 28, so he had only done 20 laps, and a, a bunch of those were under yellow, and he was on black tires, and he was running in fourth. So I'm not sure what the strategy was there, but he comes in, and then it's about five laps later before anybody follows suit. And it's Malukas then, Stingray, Bloomquist, DeFrancesco, Hunter Ray, and then finally, Award hits the pits. DeFrancesco had come out and had tried to overcut Malukas, stayed out longer, you know, came out on cold tires. Malukas was right on him. Award hits the pits just as DeFrancesco sort of took Malukas out, really fighting for that position. He wouldn't give it up and went diving into turn three. And, you know, the back end came around like we saw in a couple other circumstances. Smacked Malukas, ran him off the road. We go yellow again. Very fortunate for Award. He had just stopped. Looks like perfect luck for Award. I mean, other than Grosjean, he was really the first of the front runners to come in. I think even with the threat of a yellow flag coming out, I think they just wanted to build the gap over the guys that had stopped under yellow, didn't want to put themselves back in traffic. So they're out there flying around. And like you said, it looks like perfect timing for Award. It kind of turns into bad luck later on with the yellows fall. But at the time, it looks like perfect luck for him. He's in just before the yellow comes out. Nobody else has stopped yet. So he's going to cycle to the front under this yellow and hold the lead. Well, I wouldn't say nobody else has stopped yet because a lot of those people had made that second to the last stop way earlier, right? With their fingers crossed that they were going to get more yellow. So they had already stopped. So I guess what I mean by nobody has stopped yet is Polo hasn't stopped yet. And Polo is about to get shuffled back while Award is going to stay at the front. Yeah, so not only Polo, but Canapino, Ferrucci, Eilat, those guys had not pitted. So this time, it catches Polo out, and when the pits open, those are the guys that come in. Polo, Canapino, Ferrucci, and Eilat. Eilat loops it going into the pits. He spins it and kind of stuck there for a little while, so has a really slow stop. 
drops all the way to the back. He ends up coming in again to top up the next lap and again to top up the lap before we finally go green. We go green on lap 63. So yeah, so that stop, I was going to say, it seems like it's a little bit early, right? This was theoretically their second stop. For Pillow, it turns out to be the last stop of the day. At the time, looking forward, you don't think they can make it all the way from here. We're restarting on lap 62. They pitted on lap 59. So 35 laps on fuel is way outside what we expect they can do. Right. When we do go back to green on lap 63, again, to keep it simple, we think that everybody needs to make one more stop and one stop only. So it's actually pretty evened up, even though they're all on wildly different fuel loads and different you know, levels of dag on their tires. You know, the guys who had stopped, who had made that early, early second stop, who were fingers crossed to make it, those guys had already put 20 laps of green flag racing on their tires and burned that much fuel. So pretty big difference in the car conditions when we go back to green. I will also say this is the first time that, I mean, really since the very beginning of the race that Pelot is not leading anymore because he had to make his stop under yellow. So award is leading them to the restart. Pelot, who has been dominant, I mean, even with all the incidents, looks untouchable, is restarting 15th. So, and so, and, you know, turns out that was his last stop of the day. But again, don't know that at the time. We think like everybody else, he's got another stop to make. So we get the restart on lap 62. And these guys, again, just pile into the final turn side by side. I forget where the leader went in this case, but it just seemed like the later they waited between turns 10 and 11, the more likely the pack was to just be all piled up on each other coming into the last corner. Yeah, the leader, again, like I said, the leader should have been gunning it. Later, uh, Dixon does do that and shows how it should have been done all along. But I don't know, maybe there was some directive from race control to not go until they got out of turn 10. I have no idea, but it did seem like there was no directive. They just said, go anytime after turn nine or something. And everybody chose to wait, you know, can't imagine choosing to wait, but you figure you're just going to get on it as soon as you can and leave everybody in the dust while they're still working their way through the corners. But anyway, big stack up again, mid pack four wide in the turn 11 final corner. I couldn't tell. I think it was Rossi who had the sluggish start coming out of the right-hander, kind of stacks people up behind him. DeFrancesco is trying to go on the inside and gets pinched hard by Ryan hunter Ray. Bloomquist smacks into DeFrancesco and gets punted by Stingray. You know, everybody's on the brakes, and Ferrucci comes flying up on the outside, trying to make an outside move and hammers the back of Pelot damages his wing and sends himself off the track. But Polo maintains none the worse for wear somehow. So we're yellow again. So we're yellow again. Another opportunity to pit under yellow. Pits open on lap 64 to set the stage. Again, I think you got to get to lap 69 to be able to make it without any fuel save to the end. But 64 is close enough. We know people are going to try it. Dixon, Armstrong, Herda, Lungard, Castroneves, McLaughlin, Power, and Stingray Rob are the guys who I have coming in to try to make this their last stop of the day, aiming to get to the end from here. Polo and some of the other guys who came in on lap 59 stay out. And, you know, they don't know more yellows coming, but I think we do get a call on TV that they're trying to fuel save to make it to the end. Basically, what we think, though, is that everyone else who hasn't stopped under this yellow will need to stop one more time before the finish. 
those that did come in can probably get to the finish, although it's going to take some fuel save. Yeah, probably is a strong word. There's a chance they can get to the finish, right? There's 31 laps to go. You were under the impression that 26 was the max. I was thinking it was closer to 30. I thought 29 based on previous years, although you pointed out the track's totally different now. But I didn't really think of that. Nobody ever said really what the range was. So I thought that there was a pretty good chance they would make it. As it turns out, we do get a whole bunch of yellows, and it does play into their hands. So the running order when the yellow came out was a ward in first, Armstrong in second on that alternative strategy, Dixon in third, Herta fourth, Castroneves fifth, Lungard sixth. All those guys came in, but a ward stayed out, and Rossi, who had been running in seventh, stayed out. And had those guys decided to come in right then and make the same assumption that everybody else made, that there's a damn good chance they're going to make it to the end, we might have had a McLaren victory. I think awards, you know, an award being the leader, it's a much tougher call, right? You don't know what everybody behind you is going to do. But Rossi was in seventh and just drove right by, pin in, just sort of kissed that opportunity goodbye. Yeah, that's a good call with Rossi. I think for award, it's a little bit more understandable because he'd only pitted six laps earlier and it had sent Polo, his rival, to the back by not being able to pit under green. You know, a, lo- a-, a ward got in right before it went yellow. So that call is understandable, but I think bigger missed opportunity for Rossi, like you point out. Yeah, Rossi had not pitted since lap 38. Not sure what was going on there, how that strategy, what they were hoping to get out of that one. But I know they think they needed to make one more stop and one more only, and maybe just a lap or two too early. But I don't know. Everybody else seemed to grasp the the importance. Grosjean blew right by two, and he hadn't stopped since lap 48. But that's still 10 laps further than Rossi had gone. You know, all three of those guys. Award, again, tough, really tough to make that call as the leader. But the other guys really, I think, missed a good opportunity there. So they cycle up, though, right? That cycles Rossi up to second behind Award. It cycles Grosjean up to third. And then you've got Ryan Hunter Ray in fourth, DeFrancesco fifth, which pretty those are that's pretty lofty for those guys. And Canapino sixth. And then you got Polo up to seventh by now after after you know staying out. Pretty interesting order here on the restart. And when we do go green, Grosjean jumps Rossi for second at turn eleven. He jumped on inside. Rossi went wide. It was forced wide. Ryan Hunter Ray also gets him. So now Rossi's relegated to fourth. You know, we haven't talked about any of the tire compounds they're using either. I guess at this point it's probably a little late. As it turns out, the Reds lasted a good long time. Seems they were pretty similar. But yeah, I feel like again, huge missed opportunity for Rossi. He's already gotten passed by two guys at the restart. But then there's another kind of semi disaster a little bit further back. Armstrong tries to set it up the outside around Dixon. And he must be thinking this could be a win, right? Because those were the first two guys that had made what we think or what they think was possibly their last stop. So he goes for the bonsai move on the outside and looked like he was going to pull it off, actually. He looked like he had outbroke Dixon, was on the inside, but it was three wide. 
and Peterson in the middle. And when Armstrong turned down, you know, to, to make the corner, turned in toward the apex or at least toward the middle of the track, he hadn't cleared Peterson yet. Chopped Peterson, then got tangled up with Erickson. And then uh, a bunch of banging, you know, Herta, Lungar, McLaughlin all smacking into each other. And we're yellow again. Yeah. It's like, man, yellow fatigue has long since set in. And in fact, we get a shot of the pace car receiving fuel. (laughs) The thing's running out of gas, apparently. So this was intriguing to me. I did a little bit of math. We had been under yellow for 27 laps and counting. But up to this point, 27 laps, that's 60.4 miles of driving for the pace car, not including the pace laps, any pre-race laps, anything like that. The Honda Civic Type R holds 12 and a half gallons of gas, which if you assume it was full before the start of the race, that means Servia, the pace car driver, was hauling that thing around, only getting five miles per gallon of gas. So that's, I mean, that thing is really, for being what's otherwise a pretty fuel efficient car, that thing was really burning it up, flying around out there, trying to keep the IndyCars at, you know, a relatively a fast enough pace under yellow nonetheless. But I'm guessing they just didn't have the thing full because to go through 12 and a half gallons of gas in 27 laps, 60 miles, I'm sure the tank can go a lot further than that. Or maybe they souped up the engine, you know, just to, to run in front of the IndyCars under the yellow, but forgot to add fuel capacity. It's true. That's actually probably a lot more likely. Yeah. So next time they do that, let's just double the size of the tank. And because that, that actually kept the track. I think we stayed yellow for a couple extra laps because of that. Because we're yellow for five laps now. And there wasn't much of a cleanup that I remember. Everybody seemed to get rolling. I know Armstrong doesn't lose a lap here. So I don't know if he gets a quick start or what. But we're rolling and we have five more laps of yellow which seems a little bit unnecessary, but, you know, they had to fuel the pace car up. And again, that played right into the fuel saver's hands, namely Dixon at this point, who had rocketed his start and his main rival who, you know, was leading him going into that pit stop was now at the back of the pack. So it looks like Dixon's sort of clear sailing. You know, he's just getting the yellow that he needs. So it looks like it's it's in Dixon's hand, like you say, Rossi, we just talked about big missed opportunity under the previous yellow does decide to come in on this one. Hunter Ray comes in as well. So that leaves just Award, Grosjean and DeFrancesco who definitely need to make their final stop P1 through P3. So Canapino had stopped on the same lap as Polo previously, who we know makes it to the end. Ilot had as well and then come in and topped up two more times before the restart. So actually coming to this next restart, the, the fuel save that Canapino and Ilot should have been getting under this yellow and the previous puts Canapino as the effective leader with Ilot behind him and then Polo. Those three had stopped on the same lap, but Canapino and Ilot are ahead of Polo and then Dixon. So I think that leads to some of the craziness on this next restart because I think Canapino and Ilot these guys are probably thinking that they've got a shot. They're essentially racing each other for the win. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how Canapino got ahead of Polo, you know, after they both stopped on the same lap on lap 59. I think he just passed him on the restart on lap 62 because they come to the restart, Polo's ahead of him, and then 
you look at the lap chart next time by Canapino's ahead of Pelot. Yeah, that's the, I think that's where Pelot gets smacked from behind, right? Checks up. So yeah, Canapino had gotten that position from him right there. And good call. Canapino is the leader at the restart of those guys who are obviously a little shorter on fuel than Dixon and that crew, but are potentially going to make it to the end. Canapino. So actually that was just like Pelot, that was Canapino and Eilat's final stop. So I think 100% we come to the restart on lap 73. And I'm sure both these guys are told that the three drivers in front of them will not make it to the end. The two of you can, and everybody else behind you can. So this is another pretty wild restart because you have, like we said, Canapino is fourth, but effective race leader really is the first one that doesn't need to make a stop. Then Ilot, then Polo, then Dixon. And this is the restart where Dixon takes the lead. I mean, this is, this is where he makes his huge, what turns out to be race winning restart. Grosjean gets the lead initially, but Dixon takes what is, you know, the effective lead of the race because Grosjean has one more stop to make. Canapino, on the other hand, Ilot gets a really good start. Canapino doesn't let Ilot go. These guys know they're fighting for the lead. And I, actually, before I say anything, I should probably go back and watch the replay, but they wind up making contact. And I think this is what gives Canapino damage and drops Ilot back a little ways and allows Dixon to slide underneath to what is effectively the race lead. Yeah, what I saw in the replay was that Ilot had got a good exit out of turn 11, outbroke Canapino into turn two. And was going around him on the outside and had, you know, a half a car length lead or more. Canapino did the same thing that Lungard and Rosic was and Power had done earlier, jumped that inside curb, launched himself out a little bit, and his right front wing got into Eilat, I think into Eilat's left left rear tire, and fortunately didn't cut it, but it did damage Canapino's right front. And um, it's a little side story, but I read in the papers today that these all the Argentinian fans are once again calling out Eilat and, you know, throwing around these crazy threats and stuff like that. Eilat didn't do anything wrong. Eilat went around cleaning around the outside and Canapino jumped the curb. But anyway, it, it slowed them both down. Dixon goes rocketing right through them and... Herta had also gotten slowed by the whole thing a little bit. So Dixon passes all three of those guys at the exit of turn two, is into fourth. Grosjean had taken the lead. O'Ward is now second. DeFrancesco is in third. He had just reported electrical problems right before we went green. We know none of those guys are going to make it anyway. They don't have fuel. But Dixon's just, you know, like a rocket right through all those guys and on his own. There is one more yellow. It is pretty much the race winning move for Dixon, but Ricardo Yunkos has just got to be fuming at his drivers for bouncing off each other like that because they had such a good shot at a win, if not a win, a podium for at least one of them or something. But anyways, like I said, we get one more yellow in this race, lap 75. Castroneves tries to chuck the car up the inside of turn three. Herta had been slow coming out of turn one. He is Armstrong looking to his outside and Castroneves looking to his inside. And so Herta takes kind of a shallow defensive line. He's not all the way up alongside Armstrong, but shallow line nonetheless, and just kind of, you know, pinches down into Castroneves, who's trying to throw it into turn three. And yeah, so 
contact spins. And we're back under yellow. It looked to me that Nevis had plenty of room, just sort of, you know, lost the rear end going into turn three and slid into Herta, who had dropped a couple spots by going wide at turn two. So put himself into that predicament. But yep. they're both off track and we are yellow. Award and Grosjean, they have to make their stop. There's even after all this yellow, they're still not going to make it to their end. So they both come in, make their final stop. That shuffles them to the back. So when we get what turns out to be mercifully our final restart on lap 78, Dixon now has found himself in the lead. He's got McLaughlin in second. These guys after, you know, such a crazy start are right back up there. Then you've got Eilat still there in third. Polo fourth, you know, not totally out of it. And Canapino, we don't know the extent of his damage, but he's sitting there still in fifth. And Lungard, who's had a great day, Restarting sixth also returns towards, you know, the towards the top five. Yeah, Dixon takes off for this restart somewhere just below the, the corkscrew or turn nine, the long, sweeping, kind of banked left-hander. It, they come through turn into the break zone at turn 11, way faster. They're all strung out. It's totally clean. I don't know why the guys earlier couldn't have done that. Yeah, Dixon was the first guy to lead, to step on the gas before... What I have is turn 10, that right-hander. So therefore, everybody takes turn 10 hot and the final corner, turn 11 hot. Yeah, Dixon has it figured out, and it's a nice, clean start. Yeah, we're off and running. Dixon in the lead. McLaughlin back up to second where he started. Eilat's in third. He's got less fuel than Dixon, and he's got less fuel than McLaughlin. But he's got a little bit more than Pelot because he came in and topped up on those last two yellow laps. And he's got a little bit more than Canapino. Not sure how much fuel saves going on here. Actually, Canapino fades because he's got a damaged right front wing, right? Yeah, he's got his wing dragging on the ground, which gets progressively worse as the stink goes on. So, unfortunately, he fades quite a bit. In fact, he's last in the the running order by the time we get to the finish, having restarted fifth. Eilat was hanging in there. He had restarted third, fallen back into a battle with Will Power for fourth, and then goes off at turn nine, that fast-sweeping left-hander downhill, and goes for a wild ride. Loses fourth to Power, but drops back into a battle for fifth with Rossi and Lungard, which he's able to hang on to. And this all happens with, I think, three laps to go. Eilat gets back on track, fiercely fends off Rossi, who's got Lungard right on his tail. I thought for sure that Eilat was going to end up losing those spots. I mean, he had dust all over his tires, and obviously, his, you know, he was on reds on this final really long stint. He had not pitted since lap 61. I thought for sure he was not going to be, you know, there was no way he was going to hold on to those spots. But he does. Lungard finally gets Rossi on the last lap, coming out of the corkscrew and into turn nine on the last lap. Yeah, that takes us to the end. So should probably talk about what happens with DeFrancesco right at the end of this as well before we do the running order. Or do you want to do that after? Now let's talk about it right now because this was huge in hindsight. There's a lot of money at stake with this leader circle thing and, and guys are trying to make budget. Some, you know, some teams get tons of funding. A lot of the cars are on a shoestring budget. Oftentimes, it seems like paid for from owner's pockets. So this leader circle money 
is huge. What it is, it's about a million bucks that gets paid, will get paid next season to help their budget. And it goes to the top 22 cars that participate in every race this year. It goes by car number, you know, by the car, not the driver. So it was really tight. In 21st, coming into the race was car number 30, driven by Vips. He had 172 points. And 22nd was DeFrancesco. He had 169 points. And he had a five-point cushion over Canapino, who had 164 points. So these guys are battling, you know, all race long. And I'm sure their owners are watching very closely to what's happened with the points. And DeFrancesco was having a great race, you know, a little bit out of sequence, but running up there really high all race long. And then, you know, he reported that electrical problem, started having problems with shifting the gears, was running some slow lap speeds. You know, he pulled through the pits at one point to get out of the leader's way. He fell all the way to the back of the lead lap, which I still think was like 15th place. Then he pulled over to get out of the lead lap. Then he was having more problems, came into the pits again. He came in a couple times. And finally, with I think it was four or five laps to go, he came into the pits. Race control would not let him out. And I read about this in the Annapolis Star briefly. Now I can't find the article. But they, I guess they sent a couple of officials to go stand in front of him and not allow him to move from his pit box. And as it turns out, he got passed on the last lap. Newgarden took his spot away by you know completing that lap while DeFrancesco was in the pits. If he could have just rolled out of his pit box and crossed the start-finish line, he would have earned one more point. That's what he lost by. So he ends up in 23rd in leader circle points, and they only pay the top 22. Just out of the money with 177 points behind car number 30, which in this case was Vips, who had 178. So that would have given him a tie, but he would have won the tiebreaker because of a higher finish earlier in the year. So... By holding him there in his pit box, they basically took a million bucks away from that fourth Andretti car and transferred that to Ray Hall's budget. I don't know if they knew what they were doing, if it was just by chance, if it was purely a safety thing. I mean, they do have the 105% rule, but kind of crazy manipulation right there. That is a crazy swing. I don't even know what to say about it. Other than you got to feel for that team and you you better believe that Michael Andretti is probably just throwing a fit over this. We don't know the full story because we don't know why exactly race control wanted to hold DeFrancesco, why DeFrancesco came into the pits in the first place. But it's crazy. I mean, it was such a tight battle. You know, they kept bringing it up on TV, which you never hear the guys on TV talk about the battle for the last spot in, in the leader's circle. It's just a crazy dramatic finish to all that. So... Yeah, I felt bad for Andretti team, and especially for DeFrancesco. He had driven a hell of a race. You know, he was had an up-and-down season. He definitely had some highlight reel moments this year. I'm not sure what's going to happen next year. But to lose that money for what was potentially – it would have stayed with the Andretti team, obviously. Not sure DeFrancesco would be there. But, you know, he's fighting for that money for the team, and it was just kind of harsh the way that went down. Tough ending for the number 29 – but it does take us to the final results. So let's give it a rundown. So Dixon wins from 11th, caps off a pretty amazing late season surge. McLaughlin, after a really tough start, finds himself back in second place, which he's able to hold on to in the final stint. 
Dixon wins three out of the final four races, which is pretty incredible. He does three stops. He stays out of trouble and not only does that, but, you know, finds the way through and, and just somehow manages to not only avoid calamity, but take advantage of it. Puts himself in a great position to win, saves the fuel he needs to save, and brings it home seven seconds in front of McLaughlin, who had had a really tough day, right? Up and down, taken out on the first corner after starting second. Finishes second, but a couple penalties, up and down the order. So, hell of a race for McLaughlin to get back to second place. He probably felt pretty good about that. Polo makes it to third. He stops only twice. He stops under the yellow on lap 29, goes 30 laps, makes his last stop on lap 59, and does a 36-lap stint, is able to bring it home in third place. That's an amazing stint. And, I mean, quite honestly, if the race had been a little bit more straightforward, he probably would have been able to just walk away with this one. He just, by the looks of his pace earlier in the race. But third is a good recovery. It was another situation where... IndyCar probably could have waited to throw the yellow, but they opted to just throw it right away in this case, which sent Pelot all the way to the back. But two-stop strategy is remarkable, nothing short of remarkable. Will Power finishes fourth. That's a great finish for him, especially considering at the start of the weekend, he was off track like three different times in practice, sort of all over the place, but holds it together. Yeah, it's fourth place to make it four stops. Yeah, another eventful race. I mean, he had been penalized, you know, made contact, uh, moved to the back, had run as high early on, I think, as second. Yeah, he was in second place by lap seven and then all the way to the back. So, yeah, great race to recover to fourth. You know, he was part of that group that came in when the yellow came right back out with 31 to go. He took advantage of it, topped up, brought it home. Eilat. Also, a very, very eventful race. A great finish in fifth. He started 20th. A couple off-track excursions. Made the fuel strategy work. I, I show him stopping six times, every one of them under the yellow. It's a little misleading because he stopped three laps in a row under the yellow. Lap 59, lap 60, and lap 61, I think, just to top up. Brings it home and gets a solid fifth-place finish. Yep. And Christian Lungard had actually great pace all day, although just with all the yellows and different pit stops and everything, I mean, di different laps when people opted to come in, he was kind of shuffled throughout the order. Like most cars in this field, we saw him in the midst of some incidents, some contacts, but really, I mean, really underneath all of that, he had really strong pace. And so I think gets a well-deserved sixth place when it all wraps up. Yeah, he started third. I think he was definitely considered a potential winner. I thought for sure he, he was a potential winner and made that mistake, went over, the, jumped the curb on the first lap, caused the uh, contact, was penalized. But yeah, recovers solid all the way back to sixth place. Rossi in seventh, up and down race. I mean, he started back in 15th, but worked his way up pretty quickly. I think he missed a golden opportunity to stop on lap 64 when everybody else did. I mean, he'd been out there since lap 38, not sure what they saw as an advantage to staying out. But that really cost them a better finish, but nonetheless comes home in seventh. Yeah, and so Award, I mean, I understand. he Award comes home ninth. So I understand their decision to stay out in that same yellow you're talking about, uh, having, having had just made his second stop six laps prior and been shuffled to the front or stayed at the front, essentially. But in between them, Marcus Armstrong... 
he was on the same strategy as Dixon. He was one of those guys to make their last stop under that second yellow. And uh, like you said, it looked like, you know, he was probably thinking he was going to get effectively the race lead, not the true race lead and uh, wound up in an incident, but eighth, not bad inside the top 10 still. Yeah. He came in for that stop ahead of Dixon. So probably a little frustrated to lose the position in the pits. I mean, they're all on the same team. He comes in ahead of Dixon, leaves the pits behind him. So maybe he had it, his mind made up that he was just going to, he was going to send it, get around Dixon, get that spot back. It almost worked, not quite, but recovers to eighth. You mentioned Award. Yeah, Award, you know, by staying out there on lap 64, really threw, threw his chances of the win away. Although at the time, there's no way to know that. It's a tough call. Like you said, he had just stopped six laps previous, was the leader, so couldn't tell what everybody behind was going to do. I mean, you figure that everybody else is going to be in big fuel save. He restarts at the front and can streak away, maybe have time to make his stop and get back out and, you know, hold on to the win. Tough position to be in. I think if had he stopped there, he could have contended for the win but ends up in ninth. And then in 10th, strong finish for Ryan Hunter Ray. Similar story to award. Actually, he wasn't as close to the front, but I think he was sixth had just made his stop under green before that yellow on lap 58 had the opportunity to come in and didn't take it, but would have been right with that mix, that mix of cars that did come in. So wound up having to make his last stop later in the race. But I mean, all things considered 10th place, that 20 team, they've had a really tough time breaking the top 10, you know, regardless of who's in that car. I'm sure that's a result they're pleased with. Yeah, and he was in a battle for that leader's circle money and cleared it no problem. But had he had a disastrous race, they could have fallen out of the money. So he did his job there. In 11th, Grosjean. Grosjean had a pretty good race. I mean, he led the race late and ran up near the front a lot. But for some reason... I don't know. They just they didn't want to take advantage of that yellow on lap 64 either when they'd been out there since lap 48. So I don't really understand that one, what they were hoping for. But it cost him. He ended up stopping on lap 76, recovers to the 11th. Stingray Rob, 12th, his best finish of the year. Solid race. You know, sort of stayed out of trouble for the most part all day long. But uh, that's easier said than done. And kept a couple fast guys behind him to bring it home in 12th. Yeah, he's actually one of the few where I'm having trouble, you know, thinking back over it. I'm having trouble picking out an incident that he was involved in. So kept his nose clean um, and comes home 12th. So leaves the final race of the year on a high note. Best finish of the year. Castroneves is the opposite. We saw him in quite a few incidents. Uh, a couple of them self, well, almost all of them self-caused, I guess sort of all over the place, but winds up 13th after all is said and done. I don't think it's his last IndyCar race, but this might be his last full season as an IndyCar driver. As I understand it, I think he's now going to be a part owner of that Meyer Shank team. I imagine he'll still be driving it at Indy, maybe some of the other big events. Sounds like he'll be around IndyCar just with a different hat on for quite a long time. He's going to bring great enthusiasm and positive energy to that team like he already does. Canapino in 14th, unbelievable race, a little bit of bad luck. You know, had he just conceded that position to his teammate, was it the final restart? On the second to the last restart on lap 73, I think he could have finished way higher. 
you know, it sure looked to me like Eilat had the corner. Canapino fought hard for it, almost took both of them out, you know, ends up damaging his front right wing. But he finishes this race with two stops. He was able to go from lap 28 on his first stop under green all the way to lap 59. And he stopped on the same lap as Polo, and that was it. I think it was a set of red tires as well. He took it all the way to the end from there, which is pretty remarkable, especially when you consider he had a front right wing that was scraping the ground and, you know, obviously affecting the handling of the car. I mean, he doesn't necessarily get the result, but looked strong. So now we get into the cars that finished the race lapped. Erickson, 15th. We saw him in a couple different incidents. Peterson, 16th. Also saw him in a couple different incidents. Ferrucci, 17th, also one lap down. Ferrucci, though, you got to say, that dude is a cowboy hanging on to that car. We know he's, we've talked to him a couple times on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's like hanging on to a bull at the rodeo. I'm amazed that he was able to save that. You know, we talked about his driving style, sort of a smooth, low input kind of guy, but man, you've got to be lightning quick or very lucky, or some combination of the two to keep that thing from just, I mean, potentially tumbling. I mean, it was an incredible save. We've seen him save some out-of-control cars, drive through massive pileups before. I think the guy's just got a knack for it. I think he's just he's just totally calm and in so much more control than maybe other drivers are in, in those moments where you're as close to out of control as you would otherwise be. That could be. But yeah, amazing save. Frustrating finish, though. He had a really good day going. I mean, he was running up in the top 10 for most of the first half of the race. A couple issues here and there, dropping to 17th. VK, bummer for VK. I mean, he started sixth, got caught up trying to avoid some of the mayhem on turn two, gets drilled by Dixon, dropped two laps right off the bat. And so never really had a chance to show what he could do. Ends up in 18th. That's kind of frustrating for him. I mean, he's been on a roll lately. This could have potentially been his best race of the year, but doesn't have anything to show for it, really. Rosenquist starts on the pole, loses that position sort of early to Polo. Polo makes an aggressive move and shuffles him to the outside. But really what cost him the race was when he stopped under the green on lap 27 and came out right in front of Erickson and just got run over. So that was unfortunate. No fault of his own. I mean, he had pulled into the pits from second place, so was still in a great, great position to have a good run. Takes us to 20th, David Malukas. Yeah, so Malukas caught up in the incident on the very first lap, and I think he stayed on the lead lap after that. Yeah, it looks like he did. He got away from that one pretty much unscathed, just was caught in the stack up. But then his race kind of came came to a halt when uh, he got in that incident with Francesco, who just... Francesco just came into turn three way too hot, knocked Malukas off track. Malukas wound up out in the uh, gravel trap, lost a couple laps, did get going again, but finishes 20th, two laps down. Yeah, Newgarden in 21st. He started fourth. Unfortunately, was caught up at turn two. Lost, I believe, a lap. Spun on his own, you know, shortly after that restart and just kind of had a long day. But soldiers home. Four laps down, barely ahead of DeFrancesco. We mentioned that whole ordeal. You know, if DeFrancesco, like you said, he did he did take Malukas out. I think he got a penalty for that. If he would have kept his head there and just conceded the spot, maybe the end of his race would have gone differently. Who knows where that little 
you know, that issue happened with his gearbox or his electronics or whatever it was. He ends up in 22nd, one point out of the leader's circle money. Herta winds up 23rd, 15 laps down, actually out with contact. Some of these other guys crossed the line running, but that came after the incident with Castro Neves. And then Vips, 24th, classified as running, but lost a ton of time after, you know, caught up in that whole first corner skirmish, picked up a bunch of damage, lost a bunch of laps early, um, ultimately winds up doing 71 laps, which is good for 24th place. Yeah, Kirkwood, we haven't mentioned. I mean, he got caught up in that turn two thing, also lost a bunch of laps. Don't know if there was anything else that damaged his race, but he was way behind from the beginning. Only completes 65 laps, ends up 25th. And then uh, Bloomquist, 26th, out with contact. That was with, that was the same yellow where Ferrucci got his damage. I don't remember exactly, but they were both caught in a stack up in the final corner coming to the restart. And he, he did have that monster start. He, his starting position was 21st, but with all those cars bouncing off each other in the very first lap incident, he just kind of followed Rossi. I think it followed Rossi and Dixon right underneath it all around the bottom of the track and came out of there in 11th place. Yeah. Then I have him around midway of the race up to sixth place. I mean, some of the guys around him had stopped to try to make their second to the last stop already. And he waited a few laps longer but he was having a good race. I mean, after he made his stop on lap 54, which would have left him with one to go, when the yellow comes out, he cycles up to 13th. You know, still having a pretty good race. So much stuff happened. He got to do a lot of laps, you know, and he had race pace. So he probably felt pretty good about his whole weekend, actually. So that leaves us with Gramule out on lap one. Very unhappy about it. And... um Slots into 27th place. Yeah, not sure what to say about that. I mean, I think he, close quarters on that opening lap, all kinds of stuff going on in front of him that he needed to avoid. But ultimately, he he's the one who pinched down and took that second lane that wasn't really the, available, you know, spun it out. So tough day for Ray Hall. A pretty good season, a pretty good second half or, or final third of the season for the team. Two pole positions for Graham. Lungard got a win. Actually, we can talk about all that in a different podcast episode. Why don't we have a season recap? We'll talk about what we think they could do with yellow flags to make the racing better, safer, more fair. Talk about next season's driver lineup. We'll do something like that in the middle of the winter. Yeah. So otherwise, that's it. Long race, a lot of yellow. Luckily, we don't get races like this very often, but if you made it all the way through this race and you made it all the way through this episode of the podcast, greatly appreciate your listenership. Hope you picked out some tidbits from it. And um, yeah, we'll see you probably for a little postseason review episode, and then we'll be back next year. Yeah, if you have any info for us, feedback, you know, on the way we run our podcast, or if you've got any other insight into the race that we missed or that we were wrong on, go ahead and reach out. Let us know. We'd love to hear from anybody. Yeah. Like we said, we'll be back with postseason wrap up of some kind. We appreciate everybody's listenership. And if you want to get involved in the conversation in any way, 
You can reach us directly, John at IndyCarFanPodcast.com and Michael at IndyCarFanPodcast.com or go through social media. If you're on X, formerly known as Twitter, we're uh, the IndyCar Fan Podcast, which is at Indy underscore fans. And on Instagram, we're also at Indy underscore fans. I'm not as active on there as I would like to be, but I still monitor them regularly. So if, if you do want to get in contact, Instagram, Twitter, those are good ways to reach out. All right. Well, hey, it's been a great season. Thanks for listening. All right. I got a good tune for you. It's a collaboration between Billy Bragg and Jeff Tweedy, who was in Uncle Tupelo and currently in Wilco. I guess Billy Bragg got a hold of some old Woody Guthrie lyrics. And this is their interpretation of the lyrics that had been locked away in a trunk. And this tune is called California Stars.